This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. A neat freak marries a take-me-as-I-am person, and you see what goes on in the house. That is really, really funny. Some of you are intense. Others, you're so laid back, you're virtually unconscious. You couldn't care less what's going on. Some are outgoing and prefer to be themselves everywhere. Others are more quiet and retiring. Others speak their mind. Others really mind when others speak their mind. And for me, myself, as an organizational leader, working with teams and working with different types of people, always fascinates me. It's one of the most frustrating things, is helping people to understand different difference that they are not perfect and that their brain operates in a different way to somebody else's and the number of conversations i have with people in board meetings from different directors or whatever they come up to me says are they stupid do they not see things in the right way etc it's because we're all wired differently we are all imperfect we have different skills we have different personalities that make us who we are But you know what? Some of us struggle with our own humanity. And I'm one of them. I struggle with who I really am. Let me explain. Some of us struggle with temptation. Oh, that cream cake looks so nice. We know we should say no, but we can't. Some of us can't resist that jacket. It looks so nice. It's calling you girls in the shop, isn't it? It's saying, wear me. It's saying, you look so cool in this. And you give in and you buy it. And then, but then you get that feeling a couple of weeks after, which is when the credit card bill arrives. You say, oh, I just should not have bought that. I, why do I need another jacket on top of the 15 that I've already got in my wardrobe? Some of us struggle with temptation. Some, like me, struggle with sin. I struggle with sin. You know that verse, in your anger, do not sin, written for me. Because so often I'm passionate and so often I try to just inspire others, but so often I hurt others in the way that I deal with others. And I'm well aware of my own humanity and the sin that I sometimes sometimes step into. Others struggle with addiction. You know, let us never mock people that struggle with addiction. I've seen many a workaholic criticize others for their lack of a work ethic when they themselves are a total workaholic and need to get a good life-work balance. Some struggle with sickness. Some struggle with their very thoughts. In fact, most of us, if we're honest, struggle with our thoughts. Unless, of course, you're the perfect one that's in the room. We struggle with negative thinking. We struggle with worry, anxiety, and stress. And then others are unfortunate enough to suffer from depression, which is a big, big subject. So I'm finishing today, and everyone went, no, bad news is I'm not finishing as pastor of the church. You don't get off that lightly. But I'm finishing the series on it's okay not to be okay. Because, church, it is okay for us not to be okay. When grief comes our way, 
when situations come our way, when hurt comes our way, it's okay for us in that moment to not be more than conquerors. More than conquerors. We are more than conquerors because we are victorious in those things that happen to us. But in the moment when things happen to us, it is really difficult sometimes for us to come to terms with them. You know, the Bible is full of people that struggle. Do you know that? In fact, the Bible is a book of walking struggles. It's people struggling to obey God. People struggling to do what they want to do. Imperfect people trying to honor God with their lives. And when it comes to this subject of mental illness and depression, and that's what I'm going to cover um, today, uh, the title of this message in, in the It's Okay Not to Be Okay series is A Sadness of the Heart. A Sadness of the Heart. Is your heart sad today? The Bible is full of people who struggled with their ups and downs. If you want to go home and Google depression in the Bible, it's fascinating. You will hear stories from Elijah and Ruth, Job and David, and a whole lot more. I don't know if Paul the Apostle at times suffered with depression, but he does write something that's quite insightful. So as we turn to the scriptures to Romans chapter 7, can you flick up your Bibles if you've got one, flick on your phone if you've got it, and go to the Version Bible, a free Bible that you can download off the internet into your phone, and read with me from Romans chapter 7, verse 18 together. These are words, the words of Paul the Apostle to the church in Rome, and he says this, For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Turn to the person next to you and say, Boy, you're wretched. Because doesn't this describe us? Doesn't this describe, it describes me, I feel so wretched sometimes. And I say like Paul at the end of verse 24, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But he goes on with a victorious statement that says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Depression and mental illness is a very real thing to thousands of people. The problem with suffering from a lot of mental illnesses is the people that suffer with it actually want to be fixed. They don't want to feel like they feel, but they can't help it. Not that they want to lounge about in the morning because they feel that their get up and go was got up and gone. They know it. 
I know in times of, of my life, particularly when I've overworked or done other things, you know, I get to those moments where I just can't be bothered. And all the stuff that I know that needs to be done, I just let it go. But you know, there's some things that we can learn from different people. And this morning, we're going to hear a powerful um, story. You see the interview area is ready uh, here for us because there's a very brave man in our church that's going to come and share his story with us today. When I announce his name, you will be amazed that such a capable person suffers like many others do with the challenge of coping with everyday life sometimes. Do you know him? I think you do. It's Krista Blanche. Here comes the slide. Krista Blanche is uh, leading, well, I don't know, I'll t I'll t shall I give you all of what Chris is? Incredible man. Uh, all of those letters, I have no idea what they meant. He gave them to me during the week, and I wrote them down, and then I had to Google them. And even when I had the result, I didn't know what they meant. <laughs> so your brains are bigger than mine to be able to take in such knowledge. So let me tell you, uh, as Chris comes shortly and takes uh, a seat with us here, and we find out a little bit more about his story. Uh, Chris is a Bachelor of Medicine, Bachelor of Surgery, a fellow of the Royal College of Anesthetists. You can't say that quickly, can you? Fellow of Intensive Care Medicine and a Master of Medical Education. Incredible, isn't it? That a man of God would use the skills that God has given him to make a difference in the life of others. And we'll talk a little bit about his job, but you can see um, uh, Chris there. That's a picture that's taken from Africa. Uh, he takes some time training people in anesthesia. He's good enough to volunteer of his time in the summer months and go out to Africa and help other people uh, to go through things so that they can have pain relief as they go through the treatment uh, that they go through. So can I ask you to put your hands together and welcome Chris Blanche as he comes and share with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Wales versus South Africa yesterday, wasn't it? Oh, that was embarrassing. Yeah. So you're from South Africa. Tell us a, a little bit, first of all, how did you get into medicine? How old were you and, and how did things start? Uh, my father was a surgeon and as a young kid, I didn't think of doing anything else than doing medicine. It just, there was nothing, there were no other options. It was just so you've done medicine in how many countries? Because you've traveled the world, haven't you? <coughs> um, yeah, I, s I did my basic medical degree in Cape Town. Yeah. In the hospital where the first heart transplant was done. With okay. The, yeah. Uh, and then I went up to the north of South Africa, worked in a rural hospital, then went back to Cape Town for a bit and then came to the UK. So you said something in the week when, uh, when we... You said something in the, in the week when we uh, met together that um, when you were uh, doing surgery and stuff in, uh, in Africa, it was literally first to the sink was on the knives. Was that, is, was it, is that the kind of situation yeah. you found yourself in? Yeah. And then so you'd have uh, the second person would be the anesthetist and, and take it all forward in that way. Yeah. So why anesthesia? 
Um, as I say, working in this rural hospital, there were a lot of people um, of my colleagues who were happier doing the surgery. Uh, and I found the anesthetic side a lot more challenging. Uh, and so I felt I wanted to get training in, in doing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, once I'd done one operation, I, it was a bit boring to do it again, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> For me, anyway. <laughs> And uh, one thing is clear from the way you live your life. You've got a passion for learning. You're actually involved with uh, an organization called Hope to Give Back that we'll talk mm. a little bit uh, about that in mm. a moment. So tell us what happened in 2010, because that's a kind of, we're talking about yeah. the subject of uh, mental illness and depression today. Yeah. So tell us what happened to you, Chris. Um, I was in work and one of my colleagues uh, said to me, are you okay? And I said, yeah. And then if a little while later, I kind of sat down and I thought, actually, I'm, I'm not okay. Uh, and then I went to my colleague and said, I, I need to take some time off. Uh, and it was like I hit a brick wall. Uh, I just couldn't, couldn't function in, in doing my job, couldn't function, just, yeah, severe depression. So help us understand what that's like. Then. So when you say you couldn't do your job what couldn't concentrate or what would a typical you know what would a typical morning be like for you or what we what kind of things were you going through um we're just making decisions you know just getting getting up and deciding what you're going to have for breakfast was just it seemed impossibly difficult you know base just basic simple things that you do every day you just think you're just stuck uh and uh Along with that was just a sense of just everything was was uh, doom and gloom. Uh, there was no hope. There was no light, um, and you just everything just unravels. It's like a, a vortex. You just feel you you you're going down a vortex, and there's there's absolutely no no way out. Um, and you're a Christian. When did yeah. you become a believer? <laughs> Um, I was fortunate the, when I was in junior school there was a very strong scripture union uh, and uh, my parents are not Christian um, but I went to some scripture union camps and gave my life to Jesus as a very young teenager I can't remember exactly how old I was um, and then in high school drifted away from the Lord uh, and then in my final year at school um, I woke up one Sunday morning and I just felt I need to go to church today and came back to God. Wow. So let's shoot back to 2010. You're a believer. You came to Christ. Um, how are you engaging with God's word at this time? Because that's what, you know, my old fashioned pastor would say to me, you're going through tough times, turn to God's yeah. word. And so that's what you did and it helped or? Um, no. <laughs> Um, I think when you when you're in a situation where you feel very depressed, the Bible, because of what's going on in your mind, is not a source of help. Because everything you instead of reading the blessings, you just read the curses, and you think the the curses and the bad things are for you, and the blessings are for someone else. Uh, so it's really uh, it's really a horrible place to be in. And you know that was. One of the most 
fascinating things or insightful things that I found in talking during the week with, with Chris about this is, you know, I always just thought, you know, you turn to God's word, you'd find inspiration and everything else from it. But interesting that when he was going through, and Chris is not saying that everybody feels like that when they read God's word, some people might find it a source of strength. But for him, it was kind of the last place to go, which I, I just find fascinating how our mind can just play tricks on us in, in, in that way, isn't it? So, um, what kind of things were, were happening then? And um, so you were beginning to spiral downwards. Um, how challenging was it like, given the responsibility of your job then? How challenging was it, um, first of all, telling the people near you, your family and friends, that, you know, I'm not right? And secondly, how did you tell your managers at work, etc., and the possible impact of that? Talk mm. to us a little bit about how you felt there. Uh, I have to say I'm very blessed with a very uh, great group of people that I work with. Uh, uh, most of my job is on intensive care, which is obviously looking after the sickest people in the hospital. Um, and my colleagues were very supportive, and they said, you know, take the, as much time as you need to get better. Mm. Brilliant. So how long did it take you um, to, um, uh, to get back to work? I think it was a couple of months. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can't remember exactly. Um, and uh, it was really great coming out of that because I thought, whoa, I don't want to be there again. And um, I thought probably trying to put a positive spin on it that it was more burnout than depression. Yeah. So I was on some antidepressants for a brief period, and I thought, well, if it's just burnout, I don't need, I don't need them. Yeah. Uh, and I bounced back. So it it came back again. Or following you, year. Yeah, the yeah. Following year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, what about some people who have the theology? Because um, I'm asking you now, both as a uh, someone who's experienced depression for yourself, and obviously a doctor with plenty of letters after your name what is your view for people that say you know you know doctors antidepressants etc what's your view on using kind of uh, chemical assistance in that way uh well obviously as a doctor it would be uh, a bit of an irony if i said you shouldn't go to the doctor um <laughs> uh obviously I, I mean i think modern medicine has a lot to offer um but i think also there are, there are, I'm trying to put it in a simple way, um, I think sometimes people go to the doctor for a pill when that's not what they need. Okay. Um, maybe there are attitudes that need to change. Maybe there's, when it comes to depression, I think it's very difficult in terms of uh, changing. You can't, when you're in that place, you can't change how you feel. You can't change how your mind works. Um, and uh, but yeah, there is hope, I think, to come out of it. But I would say, if people are feeling severely depressed, get help. Mm. Go and see your GP. Uh, if if you need to be on medication, take the medication. Mm. Uh, and if that's what you need, almost like a crutch to get you through it, then I would say, yeah, definitely, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think. Um, so. How, since 2010, um, how do you cope with it? What are the telltale signs? Because uh, you've had 
bouts mm. of depression, mm. if I can call it that, mm. since then. Uh, I think you've said to me you've had three or three. four. Yeah, I've been off work three times. Three yeah. times, yeah. yeah. So what are the telltale signs for you when it, when it comes um, on? <coughs> I think you lose interest in the things that you normally enjoy. Uh, and the other thing with depression is you tend to cut yourself off from other people. Um, and so the people that can help you the most, you, you tend to, to, to not make yourself available for them to help you, which is, which is really bad. Yeah. So I think if you have someone that you notice they're not enjoying the things they used to enjoy, they're, not, they're becoming quiet, they're not going out, they may be staying in the house, then as a friend I would challenge them and say, are you okay? Um, you know, do you need help? Uh, that's a big thing to do, isn't it? You know, you've got to cross a line there if you see something that's going on with your friends and you identify some of that maybe, that, they're, um, that they, they're not doing the things that they used to do, they're not getting out much and beginning to close themselves off. Um, what advice would you give to somebody to have a bit of courage to actually ask that friend for fear of the repercussions, etc.? What, what would you say? I mean, I think obviously you've got to it's got to be someone that you you know well and uh, if you discern that things are different then if you are their friend then you would have the courage to say look as your friend i'm i'm concerned um mm. and don't yeah don't think that that's not being a friend not being a friend is just ignoring it and think oh well it's none of my business yeah um, so if there's anybody here um, after the service or in a couple of weeks that want to come and have a conversation with you and say, Chris, you're describing what I'm going through at the moment, uh, etc. Um, would you be happy to have I'd a conversation? Be, yeah, more than happy. I mean, you know, thinking back to the times when I was having or suffering from severe depression, um, I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. Wow. It is, it is really such a bad place to be in. So, yeah, if I can help anyone, then, yeah, any time of the day or night, I'll be there. So how could they pluck up the courage to have that conversation with you? Yeah, just, you know, any, any way, just come and say, can I have a chat or, or um, you know, slip me a, a note or, yeah, I, however you, you feel you can do it. Mm. Or tell someone, can you go and, and say to Chris, I'd like to have a chat. Brilliant. And if you come and see us as, as a leadership team after, we'd be glad to uh, share you uh, Chris's email address. Or if you want to send, if you're listening online uh, and you're interested in making contact with Chris, then just send an email to info at abclife.org and it would be our privilege uh, to help and to um, serve you. So, Chris, uh, you've given some kind of telltale signs of what to look for. What are some things you, you talked earlier you know, when you go to the doctor, that, that kind of uh, drugs can sometimes help. But there's also things that people can do for themselves. So what are the kind of things, what are the kind of practices you've taken on yourself that you've found helpful to cope? Um, I think if you only, I mean, I think looking back at, at myself, I was pretty selfish. Um, uh, having been through the depression I've tried to look and think what can I give back to other people and it's certainly been shown in people who've looked at burnout in the workplace if people are teaching others they get a sense of worth in that they're giving something back yeah 
So I think, you know, this church talks a lot about or emphasizes serving. Um, and anyone can serve. Anyone can give something back. And it gives you a sense of, of real worth and achievement. Um, so if you, if you look at your life, don't wait till you have a severe depression to do this. Uh, and you think, well, I'm actually just living for myself. I'm not giving anything back to anyone. Then that's somewhere I think you can start. Good. Um, Chris um, attends uh, the small group that I attend here in the church. And if you don't attend a small group, go see Mark after. Get plugged into uh, a small group. Um, and it always makes us laugh because we don't know how Chris is going to arrive when he comes at our small group, uh, whether he's going to be wearing a helmet or wh whatever he's got. So you cycled um, all the way from your house. How far is it from your house to, um, to where we meet at small group? How many miles is that? Six, seven miles, right? Six, seven miles, and you go over the hill in the middle of winter at like two degrees. I think you're nuts, but hey, uh, that, that's fine by me. Yeah. Um, but you said you found exercise, getting out fresh air. You found yeah. that helps? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of evidence from sort of me the medical literature that people that just sit, uh, um, that can lead to depression if, if yeah. you are just stationary. And if you... Certainly, even moderate exercise re releases endorphins and neurotransmitters in your brain that will make you feel better. Yeah, brilliant. So we're going to share some things from God's Word um, now, but Chris, on behalf of all of us at the church here, uh, we love you, you inspire us, and I think this conversation that we've uh, had with you today to learn from you today has been just so helpful. And our prayer here in this room, isn't it, is that God would help others uh, in this area. You know, mental illness is for too long. I'm going to start preaching already, but it's for too long had a taboo against it, isn't it? And we need to, when people bust their leg, we just say, oh, there's a pity, and, and they get repaired using medicine and other things that we can, uh, and we support people in that. But so often with people that are have uh, um, got challenges going on mentally, we tell them that they should pull themselves together. We would never do that to somebody who's got a broken leg and say, well, I'll just pull yourself together. It's mind over matter. Yeah, would we? So let's us be it as a, as a church that's uh, influential in this area, watching out for our friends, looking out for those people that are beginning to isolate themselves and not behaving as they normally do. Could you put your hands together and give a big, big round of applause? Six things, if I may, in closing from God's Word. I love it when modern science catches up with God's Word. Don't you? Don't you? I love it. So these uh, are six points that um, are agreed with uh, in Bible, and I'll give you the scriptural references for them. But they also, um, incidentally, can be found on the NHS uh, website uh, that I've taken this from. Uh, taken this from. So I will <laughs> post later on this afternoon on Facebook and check it out on Twitter um, for all of you to have the link to this website that is very, very helpful on coping with uh, uh, depression and mental illness. But we are focusing on depression when we talk about this subject here today. Number one, the first thing, these are the kind of things that um, uh, Chris talked about that happened to us, but we've got to try to stop doing before it happens. Okay, so Chris was quite, quite clear when we talked in the week that some of the behaviors that we have 
can begin to send us into a downward spiral towards these areas. So this applies to uh, us both in terms of if you're fine and healthy and you feel, you know, kind of 96, 97% mentally sound, great, but you should be doing these things as part of that, okay? And if you're not, then these are really things that you should be looking at that Chris talked about when he was speaking with us early. Number one, don't withdraw from life. Stay in touch. The principle of fellowship, being with one another. Chris talked about people that uh, one of the telltale signs is they withdraw themselves from life. Socializing, says the NHS website, can improve our mood. Keeping touch Keeping in touch with friends and family means you have someone to talk to when you feel low. Hebrews 10 verse 25 tells us, Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and even more as you see the day approaching. So if you're not in church this morning and listening online, you've missed out. You missed out the time of fellowship that we'll be having with each other here, both during the day to encourage with each other. Has Chris encouraged you today? Hasn't he? He's inspired us today. And both over tea and coffee after, doubtless there'll be many conversations um, taking place. If you're not plugged into a small group, if you haven't got a soulmate or a best friend yet, find someone in church that you can connect to. You know, you can ask someone in church. You can say, look, I'd like to get you know, to know you more. I've got lots in common. I think, you, I think we could become friends. You can do that in church. So number one, stay in touch. The principle of fellowship. Number two, be more active. Andrea needs no encouragement in this department, as she, to be more active. She flies around from everywhere, etc. Uh, but it helps, doesn't it, Andrea, to do some form of exercise, even if it's just getting up, going for a walk, keeping your rhythm going. The NHS tells us that there's evidence that exercise can help lift your mood. This afternoon, after dinner, why not go for a walk? Some of you know uh, one of the guys on our leadership team here, Mark Watkins, very well. Mark is always walking. No matter what the weather, give or take, he walks to church on Sunday morning and he walks to church all the way back to his home. Go and see Mark after and ask him, Mark, why do you walk to church? And he'll give you some incredible insights about being more active. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 18 says, exercise profits you. The King James Version says exercise profits a little. It plays it down. But I tell you what, it does profit you to get up and have some exercise. So number one, stay in touch with each other. Number two, be more active. Number three, face your fears. What happens we start to withdraw from the things that we would usually do or that were on the edge and now we come to a place where sometimes we can't face anything. You know, we have to face our fears. That's the reality of life, isn't it? Some of us, I remember my uh, wife Ruth being involved in a car accident where she uh, had somebody, uh, a drunk driver, come into the back of Ruth's car on the M4 and totally smashed the car up. The boot was touching the back driver's seat. That's how bad it was. The fear that got into my wife Ruth in getting back in the car and driving down the motorway was unbelievable. And even now, when she stops on the motorway, she's looking in that mirror with the fear that can come on her that it will happen again. But thankfully, she overcome that, overcame that fear and got back in the car. 
And some of us need to get back to doing the things that we were doing before or keep doing more of the things that we find help us face our fears. When people face their fears, it helps them overcome the anxiousness that it creates. Some people can lose their confidence about going out or driving or traveling or many other different things. If this starts to happen, facing up to these situations will help them become easier for you in the future. And if you go to the NHS website that I'll post later, there's 10 ways to fight your fears. There's a link there that is superbly helpful. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, Paul the Apostle writes to his young uh, servant Timothy, who he's trying to inspire and uh, uh, train for leadership. He says, for God, Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Interesting, isn't it? How facing our fears can help. Number four, don't drink too much alcohol. Any of you know the unit check? There's a little calculator. I'll post that on the website too. Some of us drink too much. Some of us do. We drink too much. For some people, alcohol can become a problem. You may drink more than usual when you're going through the circumstances that you're going through as a way of coping, as a way of holding or hiding your emotions, or just to fill the time. Alcohol will not solve your problems. In fact, it can help you feel even more depressed because alcohol is actually a depressant. So the effect that it has on us sends us into a spiral downturn. And there's some great tips on cutting down alcohol. Now I've got to be clear here on the Bible's teaching on alcohol. If you are, as a person, not drinking, that's your personal preference. But there's nothing wrong in drinking. The Bible is quite clear. There is no such thing as a sin of alcohol. There is a sin of drunkenness. And there's a massive, massive difference. In fact, Paul encourages Timothy to take some wine for his stomach. It has some medical help. But please, don't finish the bottle. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, Don't drink. Does it? No. Ephesians 5 verse 8 says, Don't drink to excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Great to know that the NHS is catching up with God's Word, isn't it? It's not about our units and counting them. It's just about not making that glass of wine or that beer something that becomes something that we feel that we need. My father used to tell me this. He says, Phil, what you can't master will master you. Try and go without, you know, in the uh, time of Lent we give things up. Maybe some of us need to try and go without chocolate for a month or go without alcohol for a month. See if we can do it. If you can't do it, then maybe that is mastering you, was my father's principle. So number four, don't drink too much alcohol. Number five, try to eat a healthy diet. Yesterday I was having that discussion with my daughter, Fion about me wanting to make salmon and new potatoes and vegetable and she was trying to encourage me to phone mum who was on the way back from netball with uh, Sarah that she wanted a double cheeseburger and chips or whatever it was on the way home. So guess what she had for lunch? No, I made her eat the salmon. I made her eat the potatoes and the veg. 
And she settled the other way. She said, Dad, could I phone ma- Mom and ask her to bring me two cheeseburgers, 99p, on the way back? So, uh, yeah. So, uh, sorry, guys. I traded in. I said, yeah. Because um, uh, that's kids. That's me. Try to eat a healthy diet. Some people don't feel like eating when they're depressed and at risk of becoming underweight. But others find comfort in food and can put on excess weights. Antidepressants themselves can affect your appetite. And if you're concerned about weight loss or weight gain, talk to someone. Go and see someone and get help. Talk to your GP or go and see Chris. Talk to someone who can help you. Proverbs 23 verse 1 says this. Fascinating scripture. This I love the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, listen, it's, it's, quite, it, it's quite direct, Dan. It goes straight to the point here. It says, when you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you. So how many of us, when we're dining, we note well what's in front of us? Yeah, we have a good look at it, don't we? And we have a good look at somebody else's. Food envy is a terrible thing, isn't it? I always get it all the time. Terrible. When you sit to dine, with, note well what is before you. Put a knife to your own throat if you are given to gluttony. Interesting. Verse 3, do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. How many calories was in it? No, couldn't have been. Uh, we just all need to eat celery, I'm told, isn't it? Because uh, celery is like zero or whatever it is. All live on celery, I think. And then finally, we need to have a routine. When people feel down, they can get into poor sleep patterns. Staying up late and sleeping during the day. Can I tell you that for me personally, like the kids laugh at me in the house because like 10 o'clock I'm heading for bed. Uh, oh, that's boring going to bed as well. And I tell her, well, you get up at, you know, half past five, six o'clock in the morning with me then instead. And but you know, the power of a routine is something that's marvelous. You know, I wake most mornings before my own alarm clock. Such is the routine of just making a point. I'm not saying every night, go to t- you know, over the weekend. Uh, last night it was a little bit later. I went to bed at 11. But in general, I keep the routine of heading to bed at 10. There's nothing much been achieved after 10 o'clock at night that's worthwhile. <laughs> Fedging on TV, surfing the net, getting all that blue, s- a blue, white, uh, blue and white light into our eyes off our phones to keep us awake during the night. So at 2 a.m. in the morning, we can't sleep. Sleep. If you can't sleep, go and see the Sleep Foundation and other websites that are out there of how you can improve your sleep patterns. Uh, Staying up late, sleeping during the day does not help. Try to get as much normal time and stick to your routine as much as possible, says the NHS website. Not having a routine can affect your eating. Try to carry on cooking and eating regular meals at regular times during the day. (coughs) When it comes to routine, you know, we've talked about this before at church. You know, we see Jesus Christ's timesheet in the New Testament when we read it. We see that he does Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives, Mount of Olives. Where he's going up to the Mount of Olives to be by himself. We see where he goes to Bethany to be with Mary and Martha, his Lazarus. I mean, those disciples were driving him nuts sometimes. So he just needed to be away with his mates and just have some cool time where he could go put his feet up and relax the bible says it you know that he reclined himself in their presence and that was a place that he went to be with friends away from the madding crowd and you see this routine that 
Jesus does. He went to the synagogue as was his habit. Practicing habit number one of getting and connecting with people and being in fellowship with each other. Jesus had a very, very healthy routine and we should have too. Let me finish with some statistics. As Paul and the team come and we close in prayer and I'll hand back to Michael in a, mom- in a moment. I think it would be so meaningful if we pray for people this morning, both listening online or friends that we know or even uh, in this house today about this massive, massive area of mental illness. Can I encourage you after a tea or coffee to have a conversation with each other? But I want to finish with this slide showing you some incredible statistics about depression and mental illness. One in eight men are diagnosed with depression every year in the UK. So I'm trying to work it out how many we are. We're probably about 20, 30 men here. So that means we, there's, there's, there's uh, Chris is one. So we've got another two statistically in this room right now that have either had or about to be diagnosed. Compared to one in five in women, if you've just had children, postnatal depression is a very, very real thing. You're not going mad. Your hormones have just gone crazy while you've been giving birth and feeding a child for nine months while it's been in your womb. Do not feel guilty. Have a conversation with someone about how you're feeling. You need not suffer alone and in silence. 20 and 49. Men between the ages of 20 to 49. Are you over 20? Are you under 49? That's me. I'm 47 years of age. This is a spike point of when it's going to happen. We don't know much about this illness. We just don't know much about how men's brains work, let alone women's brains. But we know that there's a spike point that happens there. The average age of the first onset of depression. Look how young that is. 25 to 29 don't suffer in silence anymore. There's a God who loves you. There's a community of believers here that are championing your cause. We want to be there for you. We want to walk with God with you and help you to succeed. 77% of suicides every year are committed by men. Men that are suffering in silence and can't handle this. So I want to finish on that subject. That it's never that bad. I didn't share Chris's part of the story this morning where he talks about how he felt the thoughts that were coming into his mind about even taking his own life. I couldn't share them because when he shared them with me, I found it too upsetting. If you're listening online, if you're here in this house, please do not suffer in silence. Nothing is ever that bad. I know it feels like it. But nothing ever that bad that you need to take that kind of action. Talk to us. Let us pray with you. Let us find people. Let us find professionals that can help you. To get you repaired. So that we can be made whole again. So just like we would put a splint on someone with a broken leg. Let us put a splint around your head. One day somebody might even well be putting a splint around my head. If you see me isolating, if you see me stopping these practices in my life, will you come and speak to me? Will you tell me? 
so that we can together love each other and go forward in God. Mike's going to come and we're going to pray and we're going to worship. Do you know there's power in worship, church, isn't there? There's power in worship as we raise our hands to God. God is our creator and he's there for us. Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil, for he's with us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. Please, please, don't suffer in silence. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.